Thanks for joining us on the American Masters podcast, where we pull never-before-heard interviews off the shelf and onto the airwaves. I'm your host, Michael Cantor, executive producer of the long-running PBS documentary series, American Masters. In this episode, we're sharing a 2007 interview with actor, comedian, and nonagenarian Betty White, originally recorded for American Masters' Carol Burnett, A Woman of Character. White appeared on The Carol Burnett Show three times, and in a conversation with filmmaker Kira Thompson, she shares her thoughts on how the series became one of the most successful television shows of the 1970s and cemented Burnett's place in comedy history as one of America's most durable and celebrated stars. She also talks about the legacy of Lucille Ball and how comedy and audiences have changed. We begin with Betty White, remembering her first time meeting Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett was sort of a Saturday night must. You couldn't, you couldn't not watch the Carol Burnett show. It was that wonderful lineup of Mary Tyler Moore and, and the whole group, Bob Newhart. When Carol called me and said, would, would I do her show, I said, well, are you sure? And then she sent me the, the script and that sort of thing. And I thanked her profusely, and, you know, that was great. And I hung up, and I said, I'm going to do the Carol Burnett show. And then I, I was very professional from then on. She said, sure, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Carol's comedic style is, is, there's such a sense of fun in there. You get the feeling that she's enjoying it maybe just as much, if not more, than you are, and that's saying something. With Harvey Corman and Tim Conway, that was a piece of work. After doing her show, I really was amazed at her control because they had none. They would rehearse a thing, and then Tim would come out different from rehearsal in some little way, maybe a little piece of wardrobe, maybe a little different reading of a line, and Harvey was gone. He was absolutely on the floor. And how Carol held it together, I don't know, because I'm not very good at holding it together when that goes either. I think Carol is such a professional that she probably thought somebody had to keep it together. But I also think she had a lot of other responsibilities. That was a heavy show and all that, and she couldn't lose it too much and still have to get through the end of the hour and keep everybody together. Were, was it unusual to see a woman doing such hard physical comedy as Carol did? I I don't think it was that unusual for, for the hard physical comedy that Carol did because Lucy had blazed that trail long before her. Lucy's physical comedy was incomparable. Was there a sort of a stereotype though in the in the early period, say even in the 50s and 60s for women in comedy? What were the stereotypes? Well at first, uh, in the early days when I started in 1950, uh, most of the comedy shows were built around the man. And then the, the woman filled in the, the family places or the girlfriend or whatever. But uh, it didn't take long. You know, once you open the door to girls, they take over. You know how that goes. <laughs> and actually, my first series was in 1951, 50-51, I produced it, and that was very unusual for a woman to be a producer and for a woman to be the comedy, and we had a woman director. 
But I didn't know I was breaking any ground. It wasn't a thing about, well, by George, we're going to get women in there. I had no, I just, I just took people I liked and people who worked at the studio. Then la later, way later, when the women's movement came along, I thought, well, what else is new? <laughs> but I never, ever felt any discrimination from the guys on the set or the, or the men, nor I, Betty Turbeville was our director. I don't think she did either. But was there sort of a, a tradition that, that women couldn't be sort of both feminine and funny? A big misconception was that you can't be funny and beautiful and smart. You gotta pick one, but you can't have the whole package. And Lucy kind of broke that mold too. She was beautiful, she was smart, and she was funny. And then Carol came along and she was beautiful and she was smart and she was funny. In the beginning of her show, she came out in those beautiful gowns, and then the next sketch, she's falling out of a window or something. Exactly. The Bob Mackie gowns that she would wear were top of the line and so gorgeous and so fancy. And she would come out and answer the question answer period. That was always one of the highlights of, of her shows. And uh, she would come out and not dignified. She always had the sense of, but she was this lovely lady in these beautiful clothes. And as you say, then she'd fall out a window or she'd do a pratfall or she'd do something ridiculous or do terrible things with this pretty face. But if you notice, Carol had great legs. <laughs> Her legs were wonderful. And somehow or other, we always got a chance to see them. Can you talk more about her face? I mean, I just feel like it seemed like it was made of rubber sometimes. Carol Burnett's face, well, you said it. Well, sometimes you suspected it was made of rubber because she could do anything with it. But she never cared about how she looked. It wasn't always, well, I, I don't want to do that because I might not look wonderful. She would do the terrible things with that face. Was that something of the times also a little bit that women who in comedy, if they were sort of less attractive, make themselves less attractive at all? I'm thinking of, you know, Phyllis Diller made a lot of jokes about her appearance and... I think it's not so much timeliness of early comedy. I think it's, it's a fact that uh, girls like to be pretty, or did in those days at least. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder these days. But uh, they, they like to be pretty. But then the contrast, when all of a sudden a very pretty girl like Carol Burnett would do something outrageous, or Lucy, would do something outrageous against type and not care what she looked like, I think that's what made the public adore her so. And that's what made them go along with the comedy, because they knew it, that she wasn't worrying about, well, I mustn't do that because I might not be as pretty as I should be. I think uh, that was a, a big transition period at that time for comedy. Uh, prior to that, women, again, had been the wives or the girlfriends or that. And even prior to that, they would do a stand-up routine with a, like Burns and Allen or, or uh, uh, various combos like that. So there was a show called My Favorite Husband, and it did a half-hour storyline, and that's when the situation comedy started. And mine was Life with Elizabeth, and we had done sketches on a, on a variety show, an hour. I was on five and a half hours a day during the week, six days a week, and that wasn't enough, so we did an hour variety show at night. And we did these married sketches, and the station manager called me in one day and said, do you think you could make that into a half-hour situation comedy? And in my wisdom, I said, oh, no, that would never work because 
if you're with friends in the evening, you tell an anecdote, it lasts about five minutes, but if you milk it to a half hour, it'll never work, it'll bend in the middle. That's how much I knew. 50 years later. 50 years yeah. later, situation comedy has become. Now, uh, comedy has changed, particularly with women, but again, it's, it's a whole different role. The audience has changed. Remember when we started, and Carol, not that long after, although she's, of course, was much later, but you, you did your stuff and it was a surprise to the audience. Now, today, the audience has heard every story, they've heard every joke, they know all the plots, they know when you open your mouth, they know where it's going. That's, that makes it tougher. Yeah, they're sort of more jaded. That's right, and, uh, and the comedy for the stand-up comics gets a little raunchier and raunchier these days, and uh, to me, comedy has always been what you don't say. Physical comedy is marvelous. You make faces and you do fall down and you do those things. And the spoken comedy, you lead right up and then you take another direction and the audience thinks you're going that way and they finish it for you and it's funny. Now they just lay it all out and I think it loses a little bit. I'm not critical of today's comedy. You can plainly see that. <laughs> How would you, you, we've talked about Carol and Lucy. They were both sort of the queens of TV at different times. and. Um, how were they different, though? What was what was unique about um, Carol as, that was different than Lucy? Lucy was, first of all, she was so pretty. Not that Carol wasn't pretty, but Lucy started out as a, as a glamour girl, and, and the comedy came from that, and with Desi and all that. Uh, again, situation comedy. Uh, Carol, she went back to the wonderful sketches where you could do a very funny situation that didn't have to have a plot line or go anywhere. It was just, here it was, and let's get this out of our systems and be as funny as we can, and then we'll do something else. Why do you think, <clears throat> excuse me, that Carol was more suited to doing the sketches, or particularly suited to doing sketches as opposed to doing a sitcom? I know she, she, they had asked her if she wanted to do a situation comedy, and she didn't. Well, I think Carol's choice was to do sketch comedy because of the variety. If you're on an hour every single week and you're playing just one character, well, the fun of it is with sketch comedy, you're playing everybody in the world at some time or another. Personally, I miss the old variety shows because you had the music, you had the dancing, you had the sketches, and you had, let's say, a personality like Carol, whom you adored, and you saw her wander through all those things and still be a gracious hostess with her guest stars. I wish somebody would get us, maybe try just one. Let, let's have a little look at that. You hosted your own, you had several shows, and I'm just wondering, what is the key to being a successful host of a variety show like that? I think you have to keep in mind, and I, it was obvious that Carol did, I think you have to keep in mind that you're never playing to a big audience. She'd come out and she'd play to that theater audience when she first came out, but from then on, you're only playing to two or three people. If there are more than two or three people in a room, they're not listening to you, they're talking to each other. But two or three people or one person, so you have to kind of think of the audience as an individual more than as a, as a group. And that's where the warmth comes in and that's where I think Carol excelled because she was, she was your buddy. She was in your room with you. You've invited her in and she came. How did we feel that, do you think? How did we get that sense that, because I do think, you're right, audiences felt like she was, you know, they knew her and she was a friend. Well, what other medium 
bring somebody right into your living room or into your den or into your bedroom when you're going to go to sleep. Uh, you have to go see people in other venues where they come right into your house and you don't have to share them with anybody. You've got them right there. I think the beauty of the, the format of Carol's show was she could be Carol and she could be herself. So then the two of you were in on this other character that she was playing and you were both enjoying that other character together. Were the Q&A um, sections that she did, was that unique? Was that a new thing for television? I think a lot of times it was done in the warm-up when you were talking to your audience that were there to see you. But I think her method of doing it on camera to open it up gave everybody a chance to see Carol Burnett, not Carol the comedian, Carol the funny lady, but, but Carol Burnett and who she was and how she'd respond. And I, I think that's what made it kind of, a, it got you in the mood for the whole show once you couldn't wait to hear how she was gonna respond. And some of the questions would, you'd say, well, now let's see how she handles this. It, it was a, like walking the edge of a cliff. I know it was funny. I mean, I saw, there was one I saw where somebody just asked, Where is the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. She brought them up on stage and said, right. right down there and turn left and go back. <laughs> um, what, what would she bring to um, that wasn't on the written page? Or was she someone who really stayed close to a script? Or what did she bring to it that was herself? I don't think she would stay just a slave to the script. I don't think she would do all that. In situation comedy, you, you sometimes you should do that or must do that because a lot of new people will come in and they'll, they'll say, well, I'll put it in my own words because I'll say it funnier. But they put a couple of extra syllables in and they, they lose the rhythm and they kill the joke. But Carol had such a sure-footed sense of comedy that I don't think she read all the commas and, and periods and, and exclamation points but she still knew how to get from this point to that time without stepping on the laugh. I think by the time Carol Burnett became Carol Burnett, I think the writers were so aware of all the places they could go with her and all the things that she could do that they would know that they'd lay out a situation, maybe a couple of lines and things like that, and uh, She'd, she'd do the, the lines as they should be, but she would bring so much else into it that I think they knew where to put the spaces for her to do that. That's what comes of a good writing group with a good rapport with the star. Another thing that Carol uh, is amazing about with all that wonderful talent and comedy and all that, she's such a pro and she's such a, an organized person other shows, you'd go over there and you'd work and you'd get home at maybe 10, 11 o'clock at night on show day and think. On rehearsal day, she had, because she had wanted to get home and, and have a life off camera, we, many times we'd be out of there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at 2, 2.30 and we'd get all the rehearsing done and all the horseplay done, but still not devote your entire life. You had another life. Did you see her work evolve, though, over the years? I mean, in the beginning, um, on The Gary Moore Show, it was more, to use her word, about mugging and that sort of thing, and it did seem to change. As Can you talk about how, what you saw it, how you saw it change? Well, I think we all change over the years. I think uh, each decade that goes by, 
we grow a little with any luck. Some of us do, some of us don't. But uh, just the very age factor changes it. And Carol was never one to try to state, oh, I'm so young. I'm so... She was just, she was Carol. And, and we grew up with her. We all grew along with her. And uh, I think that's why we felt so comfortable with her. She wasn't trying to be something she wasn't. She knew we knew better. Do you think the show was, the Carol Burnett show series, was um, kind of reflective of the time period at all? I mean, looking at what 70s television was and what was going on and, you know, the women's movement was going on and... The show tried to cover all the bases, as did so many other variety shows. They tried to cover all the bases, and I don't think they were trying to make brownie points or anything like that. It was just like... And remember, performers, and I'm, this is not to take away from Carol, we know who she was and why the show worked, but the performer can come out show night and do a dynamite show and then go home and at least think, okay, I don't have to do anything till Monday morning. The writers have to go home and think, my God, we've got to do this again next week. What do we do? So there's always that pressure. And the bigger a hit you are, the more the pressure is on to stay that way. So people don't say, oh, well, it's not as good as it used to be. Did you ever sense that in Carol, that, that, that she was carrying a major responsibility and load in carrying that show? Oh, I think you couldn't be in the business and not know the load she was carrying. But I'm not sure she ever uh, bothered the audience with that. I don't think she ever, I think she just wanted the audience to enjoy they're fun together, but you couldn't ignore, if you know anything about the business, you couldn't ignore that, that she was carrying a big load. Did you watch any of her later dramatic work? Um, oh yes, Friendly Fire and, and many, many of those that, uh, again, you were seeing a different Carol. And uh, then through her later life with the, the problems that she had, it, uh, the pain, you felt the pain because you loved her. And uh, writing the show with her daughter and then losing her daughter so close. Once in a while, Carol and I have lunch together. And uh, again, it's what you don't say that, that means more than what you do say. You don't say all the things, oh, how are you doing or anything like that. You just, when you see each other, you just hold a little tighter and, and try to be business as usual. Um, I'm, yeah, do you think, I mean, she has had a fair amount of you know, tragedy and... She's had her share, trust me. Mm. I think everybody's life uh, gives them the, the storage cabinet where they can open this door and take some of that out because they remember that if you don't keep some of that storage available, it, uh, it makes your life... You can't just go and, and for, forget it ever happened and just move on. You can do that to get through a bad time. But then when something comes along, let's say a role comes along where instead of trying to dredge it up out of whole cloth, you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know what this is about. Um, just as a comedian yourself, I'm just wondering, what is it that you most admire in watching, or even at the time that you admired or in watching her? I think the thing I'm, I'm, I was most impressed by with Carol was she had an awful lot of people to deal with, with staff and other cast members and, and a show that was on every week, was the fact that she, she could kind of uh, make her time valuable. She wouldn't waste a lot of time. Some of us 
get horsing around or kidding around with other people, and you uh, you waste valuable time that way. And you, it's a hard thing to cure yourself of, and sometimes you never cure yourself of it. But Carol, with all her humor and all her fun, was very businesslike. I remember just a silly side anecdote, but one thing I, I remember, uh, I was going to do her show that night, and we pulled into the CBS parking lot at the same time, and she was parked over there, and I, I parked, and of course, we all, always hug and kiss because we, we really love each other. And she got out of the car, and Placido Domingo got out of the car, and she introduced me, and I said, you know, how nice it was to meet him, and then I just gave her a look. She said, eat your heart out. <laughs> I just loved it. Eat your heart out. <laughs> Um, was there anything groundbreaking about her? I mean, looking back, did, did she, was there anything she was doing that was absolutely just new? That's, uh, I don't know how groundbreaking uh, any specific thing that she did would be, but just the fact that a woman goes to the top of, of her particular venue and holds on that long. What was the show on? Like 11 years, wasn't it? And that's a long time for anything to last. Usually, if it goes seven years, you're in you're in great shape. But, but for her to still maintain that, and then go on to a, a further career, but to maintain that top position for that long, that was groundbreaking. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for future episodes, and visit the American Masters website at pbs.org slash americanmasters for digital archive gems, past episodes, and more. You can also find American Masters on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. We'll be back in two weeks for our next episode of the American Masters podcast.